So, like, what is it about rest? What's the deal with sleep? Is there a college student on the planet that would agree with my friend Dr. John Walker when he says, a good night's rest is way overrated? You might guess what he's talking about, but most of us would kill for a good night of rest. Uh, Babies, when we're little, as baby, we sleep a lot. When we hit those twilight years, we sleep a lot. And Garrison Keillor says that college students are at the peak of their sleeping capacity. Can I get an amen? Sure. Yeah, we're into this. And maybe you've come off a summer where you got a little rest. And you were able to do the R&R thing. And you've come back and you've got your school supplies ready. And you've got your school's clothes in the closet ready to go. And you're just, you're ready. You're rested. Well, I got news for you. A few book reports and papers will take care of that right quickly. (laughs) Maybe some of you are like uh, we are that uh, came back from pretty busy summer. It seemed like all summer I was just doing stuff for summer. And and came off of some travels and man, oh man, I, I mean I needed to come back to the routine of school to get some rest. Maybe you can understand that. Why is it that if we desire this so passionately, we seem so poor at achieving it? I mean, what's this business with rest? Let me give it to you in a tweet today. This is not the DT. I'll get that later. But here is something you can tweet out. Jesus' invitation, which you need to accept. RSVP in Jesus' invitation means appropriating the rest of Christ. Actually, gang, the Bible has quite a bit to say about this subject. Uh, It sometimes has to do with something very physical. It just means sleeping. In Mark 4, verse 38, Jesus is tired from a day of preaching in parables. And he gets on a boat and he lies down in this little cushion and he falls asleep even in a storm. Rest, just physical rest. Fred Craddock, and you knew I'd get him in here somewhere. Fred Craddock says that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go to bed. He's right. Physical rest. Sometimes it means something in the spiritual realm of things, doesn't it? Psalm 127 verse 2 says, God gives to His beloved rest. Yeah. And so when you kind of think it through, oh, I think rest in the Bible then means something spiritual. It's like life or peace or shalom or maybe even freedom to come in and go out. You you do remember this day, August the 23rd. Oh, a few years ago, 1305, when William Wallace was killed by Edmund I. And as that blade about came down on his neck, at least in the movie, he said, freedom. Maybe rest means something spiritual like peace and life and freedom and I don't know. I tell you this, it's something that God does. Genesis 2-2, after God created the world, it said He rested. I don't really have a clue what that means in relationship to God. I can tell you this, that for Moses, he prescribed it for his people. In the middle of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, in those ten famous words of Moses, the middle one pretty much is, keep the rest, keep the rest. 
You see, rest was built by God to sort of um, be a boundary around our work so we could celebrate our work. For our Jewish forefathers, this is how it goes. Work, rest, festival. Work, rest, festival. That's kind of how it works. In fact, in Exodus 23, it even says your donkey gets to take a Sabbath. So if it's good enough for donkeys, huh? Uh, we could go on. We, we could think of it like this. Um, sometimes coming back from exile and God's people are sort of kind of always coming out of exile, right? Thank you, N.T. Wright. Isaiah 30, I think it's about verse 15, talks about God bringing his people back and giving them rest. Sometimes it has to do with relationships. People that cause you to rest. People that refresh you. Twice in our text today that you read, you didn't mention the word rest, anapao. We get our English word pause from it. To rest means to pause up. To pause up. And it appears twice in our passage. And whenever my dear friend in Bloomington, Illinois sends me an email, he always signs off Philemon 7. (laughs) I think he's lying. He's being too kind to me. Philemon 7, Paul says to Philemon, you have refreshed Anapao, the saint. Sometimes it has to do with that forever home with God. I don't know exactly how to interpret Hebrews 4 or Revelation 14, but somehow when we die someday and get to go home to God, it's rest. Boy, there's a lot in the Bible about this stuff. But my task today is to stay inside of Matthew's gospel. Uh, We're to talk about the son of David and the son of Abraham who had a king and has a kingdom. And uh, I would say the third theme maybe in Matthew's gospel besides the king and the kingdom is the theme of discipleship. And this great invitation has something to do with that. So I better just stay in my text today, see what we can learn about this invitation here. Well, when you turn to Matthew 11, you find that Jesus is preaching a sermon about John the Baptist. If he preached a sermon about you, what would he say? He said about John the Baptist, he's a reed not shaken by the wind. If Jesus was preaching about you, what would he say? So he says that John was the greatest person ever born of woman. A little later in the chapter, he will denounce some of these cities where his miracles were performed. I was in Capernaum this last summer, and you could see in the distance Chorazin and Bethsaida. So many of the works of Jesus were done there, and they didn't believe. And then comes this passage. It doesn't seem to fit. It's unique to Matthew. Mark doesn't have it. Luke doesn't have it. John doesn't have it. And because the context is kind of strange, the chapter 11 verse 25 starts with the little temporal crazy marker at that time, which is how 12.1 starts at that time. When did these events take place? Some scholars say they're out of order. This must be, this is the language they use, the Johannine thunderbolt. (laughs) Because verses 25 to 27 sound like John, not Matthew. But maybe it's this. Maybe babies need a lot of sleep. And he said, you know who receives revelation? It's nepios. Babies. Little ones. People who aren't so wise in their own standards, who, who will receive something from God. They're the ones that receive the intimacy between father and son. Maybe that's how this fits. And then you come to it. Come. Come to me. You who are labored and heavy laden. 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There it is, the great invitation. If we were just to stay in that today, I I, I wonder what we would learn to make it a great year. Well, could I just ask the text a question? Here's the focus question. From what do we need rest? From what do we need rest? How about this? Maybe we need rest... Maybe we need rest from the daily grind. From the daily grind. I mean, it does say, does it not? Come to me, all who labor. The word is kapiao. It means to work to the point of sweat, like we're doing now. Heavens, I sweat putting my clothes on in the morning. This is terrible today. Does anybody think work to the point of sweat? Huh. Genesis chapter 3. I don't usually quote the Beatles in my sermons, but they had a song. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. Labored. Heavy laden, that describes the daily grind. Heavy laden. It's a word that was used in Acts chapter 27. We don't turn to Acts 27 very often, but the shipwreck, the ship, you remember, had too much cargo. It was burdened. In Galatians 6, it says we're to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the will of Christ. But in verse 5, it says, bear your own burden. Huh. Yeah. Why is it that life seems so often like Groundhog Day? You get up and it's, it's just the daily grind. That's what makes it so daily. It's a grind. And what makes it a grind? It's so daily. That's kind of how this works. Well, what about the daily grind? Why would we need rest from the daily grind? I can put it in one word. Buckle up. Ready? It's sin. It's sin. You can call it the fallen condition focus. You can call it the depravity factor. I don't guess I care what you call it. But it is. that's what makes the daily grind. It's sin. Something happened in Genesis 3. And we've been in this. Even though Christ has redeemed it. And we know where we're going. We're not home yet. And we find ourselves, therefore, very, very restless. I guess I'm wondering on the first day of school, could we choose better this year? Because if sin is a choice, could we elect to not sin? Could we stop sinning? Since both Jesus and Paul said that. Maybe we could choose a little better. Let me contrast it this way for you. And I hope I don't offend anybody with this. I don't mean to. It's just a silly little thing. Let me run it by you. So uh, in July, we were coming back from the North American Christian Convention. And we had a late night flight out of Anaheim to get us back to Tulsa. 11.20 arrival in Tulsa. Found out during the week that Mike Ackerman was also going to be coming back on a flight close to that time. Well, there was no sense for Aaron to have to come get him to, in Tulsa. I mean, we had our car in the parking lot. Just, we hooked up in the course of the convention week. Hey, ride with us. So 11.20, we come off the plane. We get our luggage. We get the rental car, or, the, or rather the car out of the parking lot. And uh, Miss Carla lays down in the back. And Mike and I are in the front seat. And yakety yak yak all the way to Joplin. We get into Joplin at 1.30 in the morning. 
Okay, We're coming north to the college on Main Street. We pass about the Joplin Globe and the library, and the place is packed. It's 1.30 in the morning. It's July. Young people have phones, and they're on the streets. You're with me. You're with me. I mean, they're walking out in front of my car. I'm thinking, what is going... Oh, Pokemon Go. I'm not trying to offend you, but 1.30 in the morning. This seems a bit restless to me. Okay, the photo is just a stock photo, by the way. It's too light for that hour of the day, you understand. But uh, I don't know much about the game that some of you play. I kind of take click and clack the Tappert brothers. They say that Pokemon is a Japanese proctologist. I'm so sorry, Ethan, about that. But anyway, I am... Um, the... the uh, these guys are just kind of like in earnest. They're watching their phones and they're... Now contrast that with a few weeks earlier on the Sea of Galilee. You heard about the Sea of Galilee. That's five o'clock in the morning from our hotel room. And when we went out on the sea, they cut the motors, right? Where Jesus probably walked on the water. And it was totally, totally quiet. Uh, when we had our little party back in Denver, for some of our Denver folks just recently, my friend Greg Cole said, you know what was so great about being in Israel? Is that every day, it was all about Jesus. You're looking at Magdala. Just, it was about Jesus and there was such peace. Mark Christian, Michael DeFazio, several others said, I wish we could have just stayed here for quite a while. Hmm. Maybe we need rest from the daily grind. Maybe we need rest from the religious grind. What about that? I mean, in the following context here, there are two rest controversies. How could rest be a controversy? Oh, you just give it to religious people. They can make controversial about anything. And there are 39 ways you can violate the rest. I read them in the Mishnah. But here what happens is the son of David takes his disciples. They're plucking the heads of grain. Luke says they're rubbing them with their hands. Oh, crud. Why'd they do that? And they're eating them. And they got criticized for it. One of the things I like about Jesus, of the many things, is that when you're on his team, he'll go to bat for you. He'll defend you. And he launches into those religious people, and he said, I want to talk to you about David. David? Oh, yes, this is Matthew, isn't it? David had a need, and he took care of it. And you guys do it on the Sabbath. And besides that, more than an Old Testament example, and more than present precedent, I am. Do you hear about anything about that lately? Lord of the Sabbath. And then there's this guy in a synagogue who has a withered hand. That never meant very much to me until I went with Bud Clapp to Barbados in 1987. And Bud has a withered arm due to polio. And this story in the Gospels made a lot more sense to me then. And Jesus is inflamed at these religious people. And he says to this man, he draws attention to the disability. Stretch out your hand. And he 
has it stretched out. And he performs a miracle. Maybe we need delivered from the religious grind. Could I just say, I think being in the vocational Christian leadership ministry is one of the greatest things in the world. I really do. I mean, at the heart of our school is training workers for the kingdom, many of which will be vocational Christian leaders. I just think it's so great. I don't know any job that you can wear so many hats in a given day. You never suffer from lack of variety in the ministry. Uh, You can experience in any given day of ministry um, all the emotions of the Psalms, every last single one of them, in one day. It's awesome. Having said that, I need to give you a practical ministry 101 lesson. Church people are the greatest people in the world, and church people will drive you crazy. Some of the harshest things you know that Jesus ever taught, he taught regarding church people, if you will, religious people. You want to know how this works? Let me tell you. So Fred Craddock was on vacation. And uh, he was, um, you know, just visiting a church on a given day. And it's one of those days when you didn't want to be a visitor. Because it's very awkward and very uncomfortable. In fact, the church leader, the preacher, pretty much just took off the gloves and smacked him in the face. And it was very uncomfortable for Craddock to be there. But they were on vacation. They were in the service. They didn't know how to exit, you know, gracefully. So they stayed. Here's the story behind it. True story. Uh, during the Saturday night previous to that Sunday morning service, there was a Bible school class that had a fellowship dinner, kind of a potluck supper. They all got together. And pretty soon there was a rap at the door. Some of the guys from the Sunday school class went to answer the door, and there was a man in tattered clothing asking if they could spare any food. They said rather gruffly to him, Well, just a minute. And they went and got him a plastic plate and slopped some food on it and gave him a spork and handed it to him, sort of like give the poor dog a bone. The man had too much self-respect to accept it that way, so he just thanked them and left. What they didn't know is he went around the front side of the church building and sat down on the steps of the front door of the building. Are you ready for this? True story. He died that night. The Bible school class didn't know it. They left by another door. And so when the preacher came the next morning to open up the church building, he saw this body. He called the authorities. They came and removed the body. He began to ask some questions, began to add two plus two. Oh, was he chapped at his church. So he changed his sermon and preached on the Good Samaritan. And he said, you could hear a pin drop that morning. He was angry. When the service was over, Dr. Craddock and his wife Nettie got up to leave. And as they started to leave, a man in the row in the pew said, You folks visiting here today? Yes, we're just passing through. We're on vacation, actually. You know that story the preacher told me sermon about that guy? Well, yes, it's all very sad. I don't know what to say. Well, the way I got it figured is God helps those who help themselves. And with that little cliche Christianity, that man left church that day unchanged with a clean conscience. Sometimes we need rest from the religious grind. 
But maybe most, since it is the first day of school. Maybe we need rest from the academic grind most of all. You see, these words in our text, come, take, learn, yoke, they're all school words. They're all words dealing with school. Scholars love to talk about, well, where did Jesus get this stuff? How about this? From his father. Is that okay with you? Now, on the other hand, I brought my Apocrypha with me today. And the book of Sirach does say, in chapter 51, verse 23, Draw near to me, you who are untaught, and lodge in my school. Why do you say you are lacking in these things, and why are your souls very thirsty? I opened my mouth and said, get these things for yourselves without money. Put your neck under the yoke, and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. See with your eyes that I have labored little, and found for myself much rest. Well, maybe Jesus got a little of the language for his great invitation from Sirach. I don't know. But this I do know. It's one thing to be a learner. It's another thing for the grind of just the academic life. Come, he says. It's the Greek word duta, which is the word you would use to call your pet. Here, boy. Come here. But there's something interesting that happens here. In Matthew 4.19, when Jesus called the disciples, he said, Come, dute apiso, after me. In this text, he says, Come, pros, to me. Now that's different than the rabbis taught. Take. It's a school word. It means to embrace the teachings. It's used 101 times in your Bible. Learn. Ah, there it is. Montano. Enlist yourself as a disciple. Get in the rabbinic school of Jesus. And yoke. Let's see, what was Jesus' occupation? Is it a double yoke? Scholars talk about that. Were you in one side, Jesus in the other? I don't know. It seems to me, though, he's saying something about his school. May I tell you a secret? Last night, Brother Proctor mentioned about our founding dean, Seth Wilson. Some people think I make this stuff up. I'm telling you, as God is my witness, it's the truth. And I can prove it in my Life of Christ notebooks if you want to come to the office. But your founding dean at this school didn't like tests. Partly, he never graded them. (laughs) He didn't like papers. He didn't like quizzes. He didn't like book reports. Can I get an amen from the founding dean of the college at this place? Now, he did like memory work. And he did take study time. And he was serious as a heart attack about study. But his view was really to have a school where we didn't get... See, he hated the institutionalization of the church. And he hated anything in the name of academics that would take away of just a community of faith studying together. And just the older ones teaching the younger ones in faith. That's what he was about. May I show you a picture? You'll recognize it. We even got referred to last night. Now perhaps you have come out of the library late at night. And maybe that has scared the bejesus right out of you. I don't know. It happened to me one night. I came out and thought, hello. Oh. uh, Come learn from me. Two things. That's on the library building. Everything about that building says, study, 
also, it's the statue, only the second statue on campus, of our Lord Jesus. And see, the greatest thing about this invitation, did you catch it? Come to me. I am gentle. I am lowly of heart. Take my yoke. The greatest thing about the great invitation is the one who gave it. So, I'm thinking maybe the dominant thought should look like this. It's Jesus Himself who takes the burden or the grind out of discipleship. It's Jesus Himself who does this. If you get a hold of that, this world, this year will not be boring at all. So I was reading Matthew Wilkins' little commentary, and in it he quotes this, this uh, piece by Doug Webster on a book I've not read. It's called The Easy Yoke. Isn't that an interesting title? Here's what he said. His easy yoke is neither cheap nor convenient. The surprising promise of the easy yoke was meant to free us from self-serving, meritorious, performance-based religion. It is easy in that it frees us from the burden of self-centeredness, liberates us from the load of self-righteousness, and frees us to live in a way that God intended us to live. The easy yoke sounds like an oxymoron. Plowing a field or pulling a load is hard work. And nowhere does Jesus promise soft ground for tilling or level paths for bearing the load. What He does promise is a relationship with Himself. The demands are great, but the relationship with Jesus makes the burden light. Light. 